Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the show. You're listening to Stage Dives by Smack Media. It's Toronto's favorite concert review podcast where we get to talk about our favorite artists on tour who have hit the six. Today, we're breaking down indie pop royalty Chaim. Chaim, who just played RBC Echo Beach on their One More Chaim tour Tuesday, May 24th, a couple days ago. We've got two guests here who were in attendance who are joining us today. One is the musical director for Indie 88, Toronto's leading alternative radio station, our very special guest, Michael Raliga. The other is senior editor at Intermission Magazine, a new member of the Toronto Star, and friend to Maisie Peters. Women in Theatre Criticism Part 3. <laughs> Ashling Murphy. Mike and Ashling, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Oh, great to be here. Yeah, same. Awesome. Uh, for the last 10 years, it seems that the idea of a rock band that is both respected and well-liked by the masses is becoming endangered. The majority of new artists that the general public gravitate towards are either rappers or solo acts. But it's been a hot minute since a great band who play their own instruments, write their own songs, and control their own image has truly taken over the zeitgeist. Hiam is not that band, <laughs> despite ticking off three of those boxes. While famous and recognizable to an extent, the group's profile is not comparable to the massive takeover pop stars with hundreds of millions of streams, views, and followers. What they are is perhaps one of the last remaining bands from the early 2010s, where groups, where indie pop groups blowing up was the norm. Quote-unquote bands who were being signed by big agencies and had the underground accusing them of being industry plants. Hi, I'm hold a concept that might be considered hard to believe if they were fictional. Three sisters from the summery San Fernando Valley with chemistry so natural it would make sense that they indeed share the same last name and use it as their moniker. A band that functions like a rock band where no member is replaceable, who write their own songs, have awesome stage presence, rehearse cohesively, and talk to their audience loosely. But make pop music, thematically simple, approachable, accessible, almost traditional in a way. Danielle... Esty and, Al- and Alana all sing, are all involved in the writing pr- process, and play various instruments at highly proficient levels. All three of their albums have charted in the top 15 in the U.S., have topped the charts in the U.K. where they are truly massive. Their singles include Don't Save Me, Falling, Summer Girl, If I Could Change Your Mind, Gasoline, Forever, Little of Your Love, Want You Back, Hallelujah, The Steps, Don't Wanna, I Know Alone, Lost Track, My Song 5, and of course their signature song, The Wire. As mentioned, on May 24th, they played RBC Echo Beach in Toronto with Sasami as part of their One More High End tour. Let's kick it right off. What did you guys think of the show? Ashley, let's start with you. Oh, I mean, it was incredible. Um, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get to this. Um, half of it was slightly more incredible than the other half because there was definitely some some lighting issues that pervaded the second half of the set. <laughs> Um, But I I was really impressed. I was really impressed. We had great seats, which really, or a great spot standing, I guess, which really helped. Um, But yeah, I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. Awesome. Michael, how about you? Um, Maybe I should start off to say I'm super jaded. (laughs) So I actually (laughs) thought the, I thought the show was all right, but like I've seen them, I've seen them. I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but um, I've seen them a couple times, and I thought the show was all right. I didn't. I, I don't know. I thought it. Was, I thought it was. What I've told people is that it was uh, underwhelmingly good. 
You know what? Honestly, I'm pretty. I'm honestly glad we get a range of opinion. A, B. You're one. Of, this is the first time in Stage Dive's history. You know, all of eight, nine episodes yeah. where the where the guest wasn't completely gaga over the show. <laughs> so I think we're gonna get some Siskel and Ebert vibes here. Hopefully, we don't tear each other's heads off. But do you want to? Uh, how many times have you seen them? Um, I think I've seen them. Uh, I think this would have been the fifth time seeing them. Oh, so, okay. So you have more credibility than. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I mean, we're gonna break down their career in just a bit, but just because you've seen them and you've been following them since, I'm assuming they've gained notoriety through your line of work, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how has it changed? Has their show changed a lot since the very beginning? Uh, to be honest, not. I mean, it's just the production's a little bit bigger. Like, there's still a bunch of goofballs, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a definitely campy kind of like cheesiness about them that like people like adore and like that's always that just is i guess when it when they first came out it was really fun and unique like everyone was like really really serious and you have these three sisters and they're just like they literally could be like the audience members up there and they're just having fun and i think that really translates and it's still they're still very much like that so that's i think that's really really great i mean that's continued but yeah, I guess I mean if the things were working on what day I don't even know what day it is today, Thursday. If things were working properly on Tuesday, we'd have just bigger lights and bigger sound, right? Totally. Uh, yeah. So we just break down their career a little bit. Uh, so they've been playing music since they were old enough to hold instruments. They started out as two fifths of a group called Valley Girls as far back as 2004. They recorded a song for Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Then they make a theme song for the Trolls TV show. I know we mentioned cheesiness. That means that this isn't a random fact. I feel like they've continued that aesthetic throughout <laughs> yeah, yeah. their career. Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, children's shows, but you know, embraced and cool and confident. Flash forward to the late 2000s and Danielle's career takes off when Jenny Lewis from Rilo Kylie picks her out of a jam session at Laurel Canyon. Julian Casablancas, the iconic Strokes frontman, sees one of Jenny Lewis's shows and he puts her in his band and takes her under his wing, a time in which she said was integral to her musical evolution. This gets her a gig in CeeLo Green's band uh, for a lone TV show performance on the Jay Leno uh, show. And after receiving an offer to play with them on tour, uh, she then decides she'd rather join her sisters and turns down a tour deal, which gives us the first proper incarnation of Haim. They put the band together in 2012. They released the song Forever, which goes indie viral. People take note of a sort of 80s sound, a lot of claps, a lot of synths, compressed drums, gated reverb a la Phil Collins. They play South by Southwest. People start to take notice and the – Thus begins the turning of the wheels of the hype circuit. Uh, We got Days Are Gone. It's their first debut record. It blows up. People in the industry love it. Fans love it. It has this really fantastic poppy sound. It's unpretentious in a way. They are blowing people away live. Their SNL performance is commonly referred to as one of the best of the decade. Were you guys aware of of Ahayim at this time? When did you catch on to them? Ashley, we never went over this. When did you – what was your like kind of first experience Hearing them, hearing about them, seeing them. So I had definitely heard some of their singles here and there. Like I was a big Tumblr person in like end of middle, beginning of high school. So, and we talked about this a little, I was a huge like Arctic Monkeys AM person back when that was huge and the aesthetic was kind of everywhere. So I definitely heard Heim here and there. And at the time I, it was fine, but I don't think it was quite for me at the time. I got more 
I've, I, I suppose a slightly more complicated music taste as I got older. And then I got back into them. I'm so sorry to say I am someone who got back into them because of Taylor Swift. Um, I was yep. not someone at this concert who was hoping for Taylor Swift to come out as someone was behind me and I was a little annoyed about. But like, <laughs> someone behind me was like, oh my God, bring out Taylor. I'm like, no, it's a Heim concert. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, no, I, I was aware of them without necessarily following them to the extent that I have more like the past year and a half, two years. I think I heard that when we dashing you and I went together, it was a great, by the way, great time. Had a great time with y'all. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the person behind us, I believe when they said it was during gasoline, they're like, no Taylor, where's Taylor. Yeah. I think another person went, fuck that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like, Whoa, you know, you don't expect to hear that here. Um, I digress. Michael, uh, you work for Indy 88. You've been working there for, you know, the better part of, you know, what, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? Uh, the station's only eight years old, and I've been here for about seven. But um, I actually, the first time I heard uh, of Haim, um, I was, before here, I was working at Kiss 92 here in Toronto. And um, that's kind of when I first kind of noticed that not only were they getting work kind of at pop radio, but also, I mean, blogs were still a thing kind of at the tail end back then. So totally. you definitely saw a lot of online, you know, a lot of online stuff being written about them. And I guess kind of like on the inside where for like, I mean, I don't think a lot of the public would have seen it, but like when they were kind of positioned to pop radio, a lot of it, a lot of the merit and credit was like, Hey, this is these three sisters. They're kind of like super talented. Their dad's like this, musical like exec and done a bunch of things in the seventies and has all these influence and kind of like, I guess seemed like that, that was kind of a little bit of a part of the story on like, I guess on the business side, they're like, here, check this out. This is got, this is a cred thing. Like it's cool, but also it's the kind of like the real deal. So like just how they, way they try to market it and sell it to people that are, weren't like just discovering their music. They're like, I guess to, I guess like programmers for the most part. Um, but like, but instantly heard it and like it was like wow this is really great and I mean it, trying to think back at the time at I Kiss like it definitely didn't fit the mold what was happening in top forty radio at the time like it's still like it it seems like for, I think even for now like they're the challenge with this with this band is that they don't they don't fit a lot of the uh, I guess traditional like for like set formats of what radio is and. Um, I, I mean, I think that makes them one of the things that makes them interesting and also kind of makes them real um, where you have, you know, a ton of bands that all just sound the same or a certain sound that all sounds the same, whether it be from alternative or top, like top 40 or pop or whatever, wherever, like they're trying, whatever box you're trying to fit them into. They don't definitely don't necessarily fit, which I think is a good thing. A hundred percent. And it's, that's just, that's not only are they, you know, a great, sort of great subject matter for, I guess, of the blogs at the time, the discourse now, things like mm. Reddit, because it's a great story. And they're obviously great in interviews and like very charming, uh, but it's their sound. I, 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 it's like you were saying, they have a really cool sound. It's a pop rock. It's, 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 it's pop rock. It's basically uh, a pro rock trio playing pop music with a really poppy sound. Uh, it seems like throughout a lot of the recordings, there seems to be like this underlying thorough line, through line of respect and a deep understanding of pop music that's just like super clean kind of classic songwriting very eclectic they talk about how they pull from 90s r&b quite a bit and the bloggers talked about that as well stuff like on vogue and t and tlc and that whole scene of, of stuff of the girl groups which i wonder if anybody would really get that without 
the all of, like the examinations from the journalists, uh, how they play off each other's vocals. We mentioned rock and pop. I think eighties and nineties nostalgia is really big. Um, it's kind of given them this passport to attract a widely diverse fan base and collab with pretty much everybody. Like I have here in the research, uh, everyone they've opened for, and it's pretty wide. So <laughs> Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, Kesha. Right? Like two opposite heads of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mumford and Sons, Florence and the Machine, the XX, the Killers, Rihanna. They opened for Rihanna on the Diamonds Tour. They opened for Phoenix. They've opened for Kings of Leon. We have them collaborating with a lot of different artists like Calvin Harris, weirdly, Kid Cuddy, Major Laser, Primal Scream, ASAP Ferg, like what? Stevie Nicks, Vampire Weekend, Claro. So it's 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 pretty all over the map. And like you said, right? It's hard to put them in a box. So they kind of just can put their foot in every box, which I think has been hugely beneficial to the group. And it seems like the age gap of the show, the margin, the, the margin uh, at RBC Echo Beach a couple of days ago was like mostly 25 to 32 year olds, kind of that that sort of area when I looked around. Uh, but like lots of guys, lots of women, uh, good queer presence, very diverse audience. Uh, what do you? How do you guys describe the sound? Uh, um, that they've taken on, that they've put across their three albums. And what do you think gives it this sort of wide appeal? Ashley, haven't heard from you in a sec. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like pop tinged with rock, I guess. Like, it, you know, it, it's it's hard to describe when, when we've just discussed the fact they don't really fit in any box. I, I do appreciate that they tend to take a very traditional approach to songwriting. But then I, I almost feel like they're a little more on the nose than songwriters tend to be. So like Man From The Magazine, I think is actually a great example of that where it's actually a pretty relatable song for, I, I mean, women generally, but women in, per, in performing arts, absolutely. Totally. Um, but then in terms of its structure and even its melody, it's a very traditional sort yeah. of just like pop song. It's, it's a little grittier and the lyrics are a little more specific to perhaps their own experience with, with fame and, and um, be, being a woman in this industry. But like, yeah, I, even though their sound might be a little eclectic, the actual skeleton, the, the bones of what they're doing are pretty true to pop music as a genre, which is really interesting. They have received a lot of comparisons to Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. I think that's followed them their entire career. Uh, this breezy California harmonious pop music. I mean, they don't want, they don't hate each other. I guess like <laughs> there's not a lot of internal strife because uh, they're tied by blood, like unless, like unlike Fleetwood Mac. But I, it seems like the comparison sticks around no matter what they do. Um, like if they play a hard rock song, they're like, oh, this sounds like Peter Green era Fleetwood Mac. And if they play like the traditional like California soft rock uh, pop music, they're like, oh, it sounds like Rumors and Buckingham Knicks. And like if they're like playing a synthy song, it's like, oh, this is 80s Fleetwood Mac. I wonder how – if they could ever shake it off. Obviously, they hang out with Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks has been a pre- pretty big mentor to them as well. Michael, do you hear Fleetwood Mac in, in, in Hyam? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the problem with it is, I mean, I think that comparison is super lazy. And the only reason why is like going back to when they were first marketed, when I was talking about getting marketed programmers, that was like one of the talking points or like their dad did this with Fleetwood Mac. So everyone can't seem to forget that. But I also think with Ashling said, like the same sort of thing with their, the way they're like a straight, like they, the way they write records, their melodies are very, um, they're not like everyone else. Like they definitely have structure and they definitely wear their influences on their, on their sleeves. And I think like, I think for sure. Yeah. Fleetwood Mac definitely comes in there, but I think it just comes down to the songwriting and where it is. Like I hear stuff like, 
like, you know, as much as there's like the 90s and 80s influence or however it's, you know, where people think that it sounds like, I, I hear a lot of 70s kind of sound and especially like a lot yeah. of the, like just a lot of like the like really strong songwriting. Like it, I hear Tom Petty and, and the Eagles and all that stuff in their writing because it's clean, it's melodic and it's super catchy and memorable. Um, I mean, like those are those are usually most of the songs. Like most of the songs from those bands, um, they were like, those bands are, are artists are really massive for a reason. I think I'm kind of definitely emulates a lot of that um, in their songwriting, and like that's not definitely not a bad thing. Like I, I think like every record kind of shows a different little. I think it's a little different side to them too. But I think that's always in the core of what they do and how they sound. I wonder, like I I, I wonder. It- if they kind of have the license to do that more than other groups, like I, you listen to a song like summer girl and mm-hmm. you can almost tell that the band just went, we want to make a song that sounds like walk on the wild side, <laughs> you know, and, and by Lou Reed and no one really accuses them of stealing at all, which they, sh- I guess they, I don't think they should. Uh, but with other bands, it doesn't really work. Like even like, we're in like this era of big lawsuits and blurred line sounds like Marvin Gaye and whatnot. And it, it, Haim does this and everyone just seems to love it. And I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that they make pop. It's, it's, they're, they're not Tame Impala. They're not a rock band. They're not they're, people. You can't talk about Haim the same way we talk about like Imagine Dragons or Greta Van Fleet who are two bands that get shit on right. constantly because this is kind of bulletproof pop music it's songs are it's the subject matter is simple song the song is about love the song is about sex the song is about friendship it's about sisterhood um we mentioned before that um one of the things about Hayam is that they're kind of have this carefree penchant to be silly proud to be cheesy uh you know their band name means life in hebrew for one right uh they makes they choreograph dances you know, which <laughs> Michael, I see you there. Yeah, uh, this, I, I feel like there's something liberating, liberating about it that they can have a good time. It also allows them to do kind of whatever genre they want, which we talked about. But stuff, even stuff like make songs for children's movie soundtracks. They get to cover Shania Twain. They get to cover early Robin. I think on a few tour dates, this one, this tour, they did a Goofy movie covers from a Goofy movie. Hmm. Um, even like uh, you listen to a song like "I Want You Back" and it like sounds like something off the Disney Channel. <laughs> like like you could use it as like a role, like highlight reel footage for like Disney shows. And I don't really love that song. I thought it slapped at the concert uh, because they played it with so much confidence. Um, but do you guys think that this? I mean, we talked about how Michael, you've mentioned how this is sort of a- a- acted as a launch pad in a way for the band. Do you guys think that this helps or hurts the reputation of the band, the legacy, what they do? I so you you've kind of touched on something that I'm I'm interested in and I was surprised by at the concert actually again as someone who's perhaps late late to the Heim game in terms of listening to them more frequently right. I I really felt almost like a very TikToky presence to them and I I kind of thought that was unfounded but then we're seeing these very imitable dances that they're doing what they were wearing I think was very on on kind of on the nose in terms of like what's popular uh, with with the youth right now like these these were all outfits straight out of aritzia with the leather pants little bralette white shirt over top like that like like that's so you know do you know what i mean like totally i was gonna ask like i I feel like despite the fact that they kind of do the same thing over and over and it'll always be you know 
good if not good then liked um i i feel like they've very subtly adjusted their vibe and their aesthetic to the online communities maybe because again i think back to like tumblr time for me where i'm like yeah like uh that sort of peak 2014 aesthetic of the tumblr girls and now it's like the the tiktok girls and they even if it's subtle they slowly adjust their aesthetic to fit what their fan base is on mass doing i guess yeah and the fan the fan base is growing up so i guess they're totally yeah they're maturing as well 100 ashley you have um two parents who are musicians and mm-hmm. you are a past musician or do you still play a little bit ongoing i i i dabble in songwriting on occasion for sure nice nice uh have you ever played with your family would you ever imagine doing this can you can you imagine like collaborating with your folks and being in a band at this scale uh unfortunately the answer is yes um so my dad (laughs) my my dad was a session musician for the beach boys uh so i grew up with yeah so my dad was a session musician for the beach boys and my mom is an opera singer uh which means that my childhood is what i like to call sonically complicated Um, but we definitely had a lot of moments growing up where you know my dad on keys me you know my mom singing maybe me on violin something like that like i definitely would jam with my parents on occasion um if ever i had been put in a situation where i had to monetize that i would absolutely walk into the ocean so like i'm not trying to do anything on like the heim scale but yeah there's, there's absolutely like a you know there's a kinship and a vibe and a niceness to making music with people where there's absolutely no stakes like that's that's as safe a space as it can be to make music in a group um where even if you have like a shitty songwriting idea they can't leave the band the the band continues to live (laughs) under one roof we got to get your dad on the show i want to find out like all the the brian wilson studio techniques of like pointing guns at people and like making dolphin noises if he was there for that sound sessions because then he's definitely coming on the show he was and he would have stories for you so we'll talk about it another time (laughs) mr murphy if you're listening here's your formal invite um what do you guys so what do you guys think i am ranks in the family band discussion uh i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna like uh, i'm gonna try to give you the mount rushmore of greatest family bands of all time just the most important quotient of the band has to be blood related all right jackson five Oasis, the Bee Gees, Migos. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> what about what about Kings of Leon? Kings of Leon. Does that sound like a good four? Who did I? Who, who am I missing here? Can you guys? Can you guys dig? Oh man, tons like Beach Boys and Jonas Brothers and oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's like there's so many, right? But I Who's mean, the last one you said, Mike. Who's the last? Oh, one? Uh, Hanson. Uh, <laughs> It's- I have a moment with the Jonas Brothers and Hanson yeah. and Wilson Phillips. Wilson Phillips. Oh, yeah, Wilson Phillips. You're right. They sound way more like those bands than any of like, the classic ones, don't you think? I'm sorry. I would also like to make a case for the Naked Brothers band of Nickelodeon to, uh, mid-2000s fame. <laughs> Over my head. I've oh, never- God, this might be an American thing. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> the Naked Brothers? Do tell. Oh my god. Um, this is showing my age and also my nationality. Um, growing up in the mid-2000s, the Naked Brothers band were the Nickelodeon's answer to the Jonas Brothers. So it was like, <laughs> worse music, worse concept. Um, but like, literally imagine Diet Jonas Brothers, and that's what it was. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. And they were um, naked. 
Not yeah. even, not even. It's a uh, children's network for mostly eight right. to ten year olds. So kind of raunchy no, just a silly name. Yeah, for yeah. Nickelodeon, kind of raunchy. The Cheetah Girls, I thought was like risque. This is like way more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so high and blow up in 2013. And I was taking a good look at 2013. This was when I had graduated at that point, And I was very into like Pitchfork and Bandcamp and going on YouTube and watching the new videos, staying up on the news. It was a really interesting time for, I think, hip hop, indie pop. And mm-hmm. I just want to talk about this because we were all there, obviously, at different points of our life. What, Ashlyn, you're laughing at me. <laughs> I, am, I, am. They, uh, I, know, I know you said Tumblr. Their first record, Days Are Gone. Uh, comes on 2013 super tumbler like the cover is super tumbler oh, like high, high contrast they're on grass <laughs> wearing shades uh they feel like the right band at the right time mm-hmm. it, it feels like this is like 2013 is when the blogs are starting just starting to lose their influence after the late 2000s it's like everybody is just like reading Pitchfork and everybody is reading Brooklyn Vegan and hanging on every goddamn word as to what the <laughs> blogs are telling us to listen to. The mediums are starting to shift. Vinyl is starting to creep up a little more. It's Not everyone has Spotify like today. Weirdly, a lot of people have Apple Music, but everybody's on a streaming platform because we all realize we're like, how much does this cost a month? And you get every song on a search. And I have I get the free up space on my new iPhone. Bandcamp is becoming a thing. They're starting to achieve a lot of power. Uh, the listener is, 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 is getting a lot of uh, options and they're, they care less about what the blogs say, as we just said. But when they can so easily search and find something and determine if they like it without reading a review, it's kind of a weird time for indie music. It's becoming more and more corporatized. You got songs like Foster the People's Pumped Up Kicks and I Love It by Icona Pop, which are formatted and have the uh, aesthetic of indie but are clearly a major label uh, backing it. And it's all over the radio and it's marketed with big dollars. Michael, I see you there. I know that you guys were playing. If Indie 88 was around in 2013 or Kiss, they were. those songs are probably – those songs were on like yeah. major radio stations. Yeah, and, Absolutely. You got this huge slate of indie albums. Uh, I have here uh, Vampire Weekend's Modern Vampires of the City, Shaking the Habitual by the Knife. You have Disclosure Settle from the UK. You've got Chance the Rapper's Acid Rap. You got Childish Gambinos because of the internet. There's a Strokes album. You got Charlie XEX True Romance, Bankrupt by Phoenix. Death Heaven, uh, Sunbather. You got the first album by the 1975. You got Ashling's favorite, Arctic Monkeys AM. You got Arcade Fire's Reflector, Sky Ferreira's debut, Nighttime, My Time, Free Your Mind by Cut Copy. A ton, a ton of indie albums. Some are clearly holdovers from the 2000s who have kind of received delayed popularity and labels are not pressuring them to release another album, do another tour, stuff like Phoenix and Arcade Fire, who were, who were releasing their best music in the 2000s when people came late. The two 2010s come around, they get even bigger, especially around 2013. Ashlyn, where are you in all of this? All right, what are you listening to? You must have been in high school, right? Just. Um, I would have been 15 in, yeah. in, at this point in time. Um, obviously Arctic Monkeys, AM for AM. That was really my thing in high school. I was obnoxious. Um, but I also, I don't know. Cause I'm also, I've been doing some casual Googling on the side while you were reading that list. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Somebody that I used to know by got you, got you. Right. Well. Gautier, Gautier. Gautier, sure. Right. I mean, for, for, for fear of a hot take, it was a one hit wonder and that was in 2012. So, I mean, that's also kind of setting 
almost kind of setting the table for these weird one-off indie-ish songs very much in the top 40 and contrast that with you know like call me maybe like again like like it's a weird time for music where you've got either this kind of hyper bubblegum pop or weird indie one-offs that seem to strike a chord yeah like like in terms of where i was situated with this i was very much like a the xx person as well um again if like if it was on your dashboard it was probably like, i was big into eight tracks eight tracks was my thing like i, oh. I love doing again like I, like i hate that that platform became so obsolete so quickly because i really did like making little the little eight eight track playlist that you could do with that but yeah i was also a pretty big foster the people person actually like i i kind of fear that they're included in that one hit wonder genre which i I understand but like at the same time i at the time as a 15 year old going through whatever i i kind of appreciated the prevalence of these these sorts of bands and and i kind of liked that enough people that i would have gone to school with would have been talking with online whatever indie music was indie kind of by name alone like it wasn't necessarily something that you had to dig particularly deep either to listen to or to find a community that would be able to talk to you about it michael you run uh indie 88 this must have been a i, I mean or, or i mean i've said that a million times <laughs> but good idea. at the time you were at kiss right at the time yeah 2013 is still like Kiss, just about to come to indie like literally on the verge so everything that actually everything that Ashley said just now, like all those songs obviously were on the radio and it's very popular. And then, yeah, there's a different feel. And I think one of the reasons why I think definitely now where people don't think about or definitely a younger generation. And when I say younger, because I'm old as shit. <laughs> um, I think where people already now don't really think about or I'm sorry, that time period really set up what's happened now with streaming and technology where people don't really think about formats. If it's a good song, it's a good song. And the influence of pop kind of being... Um, uh, really, really um, just embedded in everything we do. Like, like I mean, for unfortunately for people my age, or even the, even the, some of the demo that we're trying to track with indie, you get some feedback where like people just are like, alternative music should be this. It should be rock music. A certain percentage. It's kind of like really weird. Like a bunch of thirty year olds are kind of like that because I think we we're. I think that generation was a little bit kind of um, and and older. We're kind of like hitting the head, head in the hammer or hit in the head with a hammer this mm-hmm. new rock new music should be rock and roll based or whatever or or guitar based really yeah everything. but funny enough as i as much as i get tons of feedback every day a lot of an older audience now really appreciates the fact that like they love hearing new sounds and the fact that things i guess kind of sounds really contemporary like very 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 pop and very melodic that they're like wow what is this and they get really excited so i think the time when you were growing up um, and all that stuff is kind of happening. It's definitely led to the part where people don't look at music like that. And I think that's the best way of, you know, music discovery and be able to, I hate to say, I hate this word when people discuss this music, but like consume it. Um, that's, that's just, that it is what it is. But I mean, I think that's, that's really made things for the best. Uh, I mean, arguably, but yeah, at that time, I mean, it kind of go back to your original question because I went on this crazy tangent because that's something that happens. Then you get out of my brain. Um, yeah, I mean, all that stuff was happening, and like, and to be honest, all like all the every song they mentioned as an example, uh, I'm still playing today because they were big hits, and they they still like you know even when we do research, they still like trans, they still do really well with with the, with the audience, right? They're like, oh, I still like to hear the song. I'm not bored of it anymore. I'm not bored of it. Where maybe there's a little bit of fatigue on, or you kind of rest things and go go back and forth but people are still excited to hear pump up kicks as much as they 
as much as they they want to hear that stupid Gote song. <laughs> <laughs> you, I could, yeah, I, I'm, I, I've definitely have no problem with hearing any of those when they come on. It's just, yeah, I guess, for it, sure. it's good nostalgia. It's a kind of fresh nostalgia. Yeah. Um, like it's just to bring it back to Hyam, you could tell by looking at those records uh, that the table was very much set for a band like Hyam to come out as like, mm-hmm. like they are pop, they are indie, they are rock, and all three of those lines are definitely being blurred in 2013. Um, like even looking at the Coachella lineup that year is completely different than what you would see on a lineup now. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this year, but it didn't it didn't go well. Uh, the first day was headlined by uh, Stone Roses and Blur. <laughs> Just like what? Uh, day two is Phoenix, and day three was Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nick Cave plays two sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Modest Mouse, Grizzly Bear, Sigur Ross, The XX, Postal Service, Vampire Weekend, Social Distortion, and that's the second line. Like very little right. hip hop. I think the only hip hop act was Jurassic Five. You would not see that on a Coachella lineup today. It is no, 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 no freaking chance. Uh, just to kind of show where we were. Uh, it's also a really big pop here, and it seems like this is just the era before everyone is un- unironically listening to pop music. It's before Lemonade. It's before Anti. It's before Blonde. It's before Views. The Weekend was big, but he wasn't like a global superstar like he would become. It's a really interesting year for music. You get. Uh, on the same day as the Hyam record, you get Lord's Pure Heroin, her debut record. You get Miley Cyrus Bangers. <laughs> you get so good. <laughs> you so like good. That? You like that one? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's some fantastic songs on that. I mean, I, I mean, sorry, continue with your list. I didn't mean, to interrupt. I just got excited. <laughs> That's cool. I actually yeah, yeah. didn't expect absolutely. that. But uh, you got Katy Perry's Prism, not as good as maybe not as good as Bangers. You get Lady Gaga's Art Pop. You get Yeezus. You get. Beyonce's self-titled surprise release by the end of the year. These are all pretty divisive, <laughs> divisive records. It's like turning points for these huge pop acts who ran the late 2000s, the early 2010s. And yeah, the high debut is kind of like the intersection between the end of an indie era, but also the dawn of a new era where everybody appreciates and listens to pop. Um, Ashlyn, what's your favorite out of those? We know that uh, Michael loves bangers. <laughs> I'd actually, I, I'm going to be annoying and actually add one to the list. Yeah, um, it's from tw- it's from 2012, but I do also find that it kind of marked a big pivot for a lot of artists in terms of sound. And it's actually Ellie Gold, it's Ellie Golding's second album, Halcyon. Okay, um, yeah. So I, when she started out, I was a diehard fan of Ellie Golding. She is an incredible acoustic performer and songwriter. She's a very good guitarist, and her vocals are really, really good. And Halcyon, which came out in 2012, that was the one where she was dating Skrillex, but it's also the one where she really pivoted towards this much more, not only EDM sound, but really left a lot of her fan base behind because it was for a much more EDM crowd. Um, And I found for me, that's actually the album that made me realize like, oh, I don't think pop radio is for me anymore because I was someone who before that had really liked songs like Call Me Maybe and had kind of liked um, like the almost the tail end of the red era of Taylor Swift. Like I didn't mind a super basic and upbeat pop song. And when Ellie Goulding made that switch to the much more kind of crunchy and and, um, EDM based Halcyon, I was like, okay, I guess this is where I start looking for my softer, my softer sad girl music in different places. 
Um, totally. Another one we missed that year was Random Access Memories by Daft Punk. I, mm-hmm. You could not, you could not escape Get Lucky that year. <laughs> you could not escape it. Um, yeah, I. I um, I don't ever say anything bad about Call Me Maybe on this podcast, please. Oh, I, I would never. I would never. I love Wait, that song. Wait, before we could move on, uh, when's 1989? Is that the following year? Okay, so 1989 yeah. is 2014. Um. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, we're like right between Red and 1989. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That like The hair's been chopped. She's ready. She's coming out with her basically Taylor Swift's thriller. We could do a whole podcast about 1989, but we're not going to. It's fine. Wait for that. Wait for the uh, Taylor's version, and then we'll get. We'll maybe get that oh. on the on the docket. Um, so, hi, I'm dropping 2013. They blow up basically within the year. They go on this massive 56 date world tour from Europe to Japan to Australia, then North America. People are talking, right? Because they play really hard. They're fun to watch. Alana's on percussions and synths and guitar. You got Esty, Esty who's doing the bass face. Everybody's talking about the bass face and questioning the bass face. Uh, Danielle is an excellent guitar player. She has that cool voice. The songs are catchy. It's funny. We were just talking about Taylor Swift because they, they open – the next thing they do is they open for Taylor Swift on the 1989 tour, which I kid you not is a tour that a shitload of people went to. Were you – Michael, were you there? It's my favorite Taylor Swift for chat. I saw that, saw that show at – was it, I think it was here at the Dome, and Ed Sheeran opened up. What? Yeah, it was it was it was incredible. Like that. I mean, I I can't tell I can't talk enough about how much I love Eight Nineteen Nine, and I and I will argue to death that it's her best record. Yeah. But I mean, people definitely don't agree. But I just love I do love pop music, and I get like that moment in time, and that record is just. I mean, other than and. I know this is about Taylor Swift. The first song on that record, I don't, I don't really love the "Welcome to New York." I get, why, I get why it's important in the it's a great narrative opener. of it. It's a, yeah, I, it I is. agree with you, but it's a great opener in the context yeah. of the album. Yeah, but I mean, I would delete it. And but I mean, <laughs> overall, the re- but the rest, the re- that record is oh my, it's like almost, it's almost a perfect record. It really is. Like it's, it's great. I still listen to that record like all the time. So yeah. Like quick little digression. I do think yep, that New please. Romantics should have been on the main version of the album. Um, the fact that because it's literally the thesis of the album in a song, why is it a bonus track? But it's fine. <laughs> oh, that's that's the bonus track. Yeah, yeah. One of them. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it's, it. It's literally it is the point of the album in a single song. So I actually I'm inclined to agree with you. Actually, like if you do have to delete one, it is Welcome to New York and replace it with New Romantics because again, like <laughs> New Romantics 1989, like that Office meme. It's the same picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they high I'm open for 1989 on 1989. They play 17 shows. All of them sold out. Five of them at the Staples Center. I believe I honestly think I was looking at the Wikipedia stats. All of the shows sold out. This was like a mega, mega, mega tour. Uh, so mm-hmm. this obviously helps their exposure. Um, this is probably the best time to talk about this. I mean, I, I didn't know. I knew we had Ashling as a Swift Army lifer here, but Michael, you're one too. <laughs> God damn. Uh, what's the affiliation here um, for people at home to understand between Taylor Swift and Hyam? Because I know they're friends, but can you explain sort of what one does for the other? Michael, if you'd like to go first. <laughs> sure. I mean, sure. I think what Taylor did for them in that particular time definitely, you know, catapulted them to just if they weren't if they were they're already kind of like the if you're discovering him before taylor swift you're kind of like you're a little bit in the know you're a cool kid you're you know you're, you're following tastemakers and blogs all things that we've talked 
about. And then Taylor Swift basically catapults them into like basically mainstream, like, like, you know, her fan base that are like, that are eight years old are all of a sudden are like, I love this band too, because yes. Taylor loves it. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that is, it's huge, but like you also, you know, but they're also the collaboration and stuff like it just, it, it doesn't, again, it's something that doesn't seem forced. It just seems like it's a natural fit. Like it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's like a like you know a lot of times I think you'll hear in, in music they're like oh this band's it's getting together with this band because it's a cred thing or it's money or remix or whatever and it just actually seems just genuine like it mm-hmm. seems like oh this is you know I'm sure there's other things around that but it, it it doesn't seem like it's contrived you're like this makes this makes sense of course they're of course they're making a song together why wouldn't they and Taylor's probably listening to them going oh they're kind of roughly the same age. Like they're all living again. It's organically. They're like influencing each other and they listen to each other. And like, yeah, this makes sense. Ashley, how about you? Yeah, I, I'm fully inclined to agree with you. The one thing I will say about their relationship is that it does feel a little one-sided, at least artistically. Mm. Um, so Alana and T Swift are like best friends. They had their birthday party together last year. It was iconic, but at the same time, so like musically they collaborated on evermore for taylor's most recent new album that's not a re-record and then taylor's featured on the bonus version of gasoline and i do it's hard not to notice that it's a really unbalanced kind of track for track partnership because on nobody no crime which is heim's appearance on evermore they do some backing vocals and Esty's name is in it. That is the extent of that partnership. You're not really getting a lot of Heim sound or, or vibe coming from it. And then you look at Gasoline and, oh, Taylor Swift is not only given a full verse, but she's given a really rangy verse, which gives her kind of a chance to show off vocally in a way that she doesn't often on her more recent kind of more quote unquote indie stuff. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. It's... I think it's a match made in heaven. I do wish that perhaps Haim had been given a little more of a platform on the Nobody No Crime track because there was absolutely room for one or even all three of them to take a verse. It's not a particularly like difficult song to slot someone in. It's a pretty standard like, you know, A, B, A, B, C, B, like in terms of structure. So it's kind of disappointing. You're right. And uh, a little like you got one of the best songwriters out there who's proven with these two pretty awesome indie album, indie like uh relate corner correlated albums with forever mm. folklore and evermore that she's this really wonderful songwriter no max martin in sight you got this wicked band right you got mm-hmm. this like one of the cool like one of the coolest bands out there and mm-hmm. they're just relegated to be her backup singers and taylor and like i would think I, w- I was waiting for that gasoline remix and i'm like are they gonna redo this song like i hope they like maybe change the groove up i was like no taylor swift is karaoke <laughs> on, on gasoline kind of right pretty much and like that's the thing with taylor swift and her female collaborators as well which a lot of the community has really pointed out and been pretty upset by is whenever she brings on a male collaborator they always get a full verse and it's like a really nice duet there's harmonies there's chemistry and then she's done this with colby Caliat. she's done it with heim uh there's one that's escaping me. The first one where she didn't do this was with Phoebe Bridgers, which I know I personally was stoked about. Yeah. But she's really bad about not giving her female collaborators verses on things that are credited as duets, which is is interesting. And I feel like for Haim in particular, who's very on board with her messages of like female inclusivity in the industry and, and feminism. I don't know. It was a strange choice for me when I first heard Evermore, for sure. 
Taylor doesn't like to be overshined by any other female vocalist. Taylor Swift is a really good songwriter and not a great vocalist. Yep. Kendrick Lamar didn't get that treatment, thank God, on the on the Bad Blood remix. Kendrick, you're just you're just singing back up for this one, man. Um, So this takes us to album number two, and I was hyped on this one. I was so ready for them to do it again and break the sophomore curse. Results were mixed uh, for something to tell you. You know, Metacritic, I think they slapped on a label that said generally favorable. We're going to get to this. <laughs> we're going to get to the set list in, in just a bit when we break down the concert, but literally only play one of the songs from that album. I wonder if they, if the band just sort of embraces that it's not the fan favorite. Um, do you guys, do you guys, are you guys like kind of familiar with this record? Are you like, do you know it? Yeah. I mean, sorry, here, go ahead. No, no, you Michael, go, go for you it. Go for it, Michael. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, when this came out, I, I listened to it and I had really, unfortunately, not unfortunately, just had high expectations. And I remember listening to it and going, oh, okay. And I remember, like, you know, I, I think, and the song that they do, I think the song that they do play, or I don't even think they'd even played it. Um, maybe they did. Um, the, the, like the main single off it, I think is the best song. And it's the one that kind of like stuck, sits with me, but everything else, honestly, I, at, at the time, and even now I, I don't go back to the record. I think it's kind of forgettable. So I just, it never, it never really got me excited. And I kind of, at that point I was just kind of like, ah, eh, yeah, they're fine. It, it seems uh, to be, yeah. it, it seems to be missing the relentlessness and the consistency of album one, right? Like album one yeah. is just bang, great track, bang, great track, pretty much all the way to the end. And this one is just kind of like, good one. And then like, oh, okay, skip, skip, good one. This one's pretty good. Skip, skip, right? Um, I, I, I do think it, do, it does a couple of things for the band though. This is when Paul Thomas Anderson jumps on and he starts helming their visual material. Their drummer leaves, which is actually pretty integral because, you know, his, his name is Danny Hutton, also a child maybe a nepotism baby, a child of uh, one of the three dog night members. I think it was by far the least recognized member of Hyam. Uh, but, but he leaves and Danielle starts playing more drums, which is great. Uh, be- somehow the rhythms get more focused. They take on this very natural sound. They ditch the drum machine, which takes us to their third album and the one they were playing in support of in Toronto, uh, which is women in music part three, uh, which is sort of an all around universally appreciated, well-reviewed Grammy nominated record comes out in the pandemic summer of 2020. They're unable to tour it, which is an integral element. Uh, the album itself was delayed from April to June. I, I wonder if that was necessary. Like I really could have used this record in the first two months of the pandemic. Ashlyn, you look like you want to say something. I'm going to say that they made a really smart call not releasing this anywhere around July 2020 because it would have been out folklored really, really quickly by a very similar fan base. Ooh, so They got the insider trading knowledge. Almost certainly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but I, but it, so it came it came out in June. I, I guess it was just like just before the cutoff of when you yeah. can make it too soon. Put it out in April, guys. Seriously, why are you like? No one's touring for two years, anyways. Like, just put this record out. We're all in our houses. Like, this is definitely a record that we could have used. It's like this beautiful, well written, well sung, well played uh, uh, music that was has this nice, like, organic analog recording. It's not digital at all. You can hear like these soft drums. They're playing around with saxophones. It's about healing. It's about friendship. Uh, more mature themes, like we said. It's getting ranked in the top ten best albums everywhere. Uh, Grammys nominate them for album of the year uh michael you like this one because some people i talked to just want more days are gone and they didn't really feel it 
Yeah, I mean, at first I was really excited to hear the singles. It was kind of like because of album two was kind of like a meh to me for me. Um, When I first heard some of the stuff that was coming out, I was like, oh, wow, this is like I was excited. And I was I I was upset as well that the the kept on getting pushed uh, and and the record was getting delayed. But like, I mean, the record, I mean, there's some songs on it that I, and we probably will not agree on that I don't, I don't particularly love, but I think, but I, but there's reasons for I don't like them. Like they're not, I think the concepts and the ideas are there. I just, I don't think the execution's there. Mm. Um, but I mean, I mean, the, look, when they played on Tuesday, the entire, the entire time I was waiting, to, I, I couldn't, I was like, yeah, I need to hear the wire. I know it's going to be last, but I was dying to hear this. I was dying to hear steps. Like, I was just like, I, I can't, I'm like, oh, I have to wait, of course, right to the end. <laughs> but I like that, that song is just, it's amazing. So yeah, I, I really like the record. And the more, actually, the more time I, every time I go back to it, I hear something else different in, that I didn't hear before. So the layering and then the ideas and just again like with, you know we mentioned the maturity and all that but like i really think that this record even though it's very contemporary it's it's probably their most experimental if that makes sense and and that and that's you know for a pop record like they're just they're not afraid to try different things and every time they do try it, it, it works and they definitely and they definitely you know as they're growing older their influence are changing like i hear like i hear the vampire weekend influence on this record and, yeah. and like some of the other things that are, they're going on and they're probably in their personal lives, but still like it's, it's an amazing record. I think it's, it's well-deserved that, you know, for the Grammy nomination and, and, and everything else that happened uh, or everything else that everyone's like, I guess they clear the critic acclaim. They're produ- they're, they have a great producer as well. Ariel Rexted, Rexted, and he, he produced modern vampires and father of the bride yeah. for vampire weekend. It definitely has that really nice natural sound to it. Yeah. Um, very warm. I, very warm. I feel like it is kind of also a reminder that this is maybe one of the last great big accessible bands in recent memory, like a, a real band where all the pieces matter, not a lot of gimmicks, and they just let the quality of the music speak for itself. Let's say the past 10 years, um, a lot of people would say kind of Tame Impala, Vampire Weekend, maybe Big Thief, maybe The War on Drugs. These guys are fully up there with them. Uh, not to say that there aren't a lot of great bands now. And Michael, hopefully you can attest to this, but not a ton of them are, are blowing up like they were before. Um, they kind of hold this uh, – like bands like Turnstile, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they kind of hold this reputation as a best-kept secret, and you have to be cool to get them. You have to be cool to be mm-hmm. listening to them and streaming them, whereas something like Tame Impala um, – who are just really popular. Everybody seems to like it. People in their forties like it. Like you hear it in restaurants, people in their teens like it. They are playing these humongous arenas. I wanted to ask you, who are some of these other bands? If I missed any in the past 10 years, um, not just great bands. Cause there's a ton, of the, a ton of those, but the ones who are really taking over and not counting boy bands or rap groups, like, you know, like Brockhampton would be like a smart ass answer, but I, I want to be careful here because there's like plenty of solo acts, but like Michael, who, who am I missing here? Who's like, who, who do you guys play in, at Indie 88? Like of like the brand new bands. To be honest, I think you've kind of hit it. Like I think one of the challenges I have every, like when we're looking at records right now or like artists that are coming out, there's a lot of like, unfortunately there is a, a lot of, um, there's a lot of pop influence right now in, I guess, in kind of the old world, but there isn't a lot of like, 
there isn't any longevity with a lot of these bands. There's a lot of like, here's a record, here's a here's a really great song, and then they're gone. Or it's a, it's a copy of a copy of a copy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even thinking back to like the Foster the People, and it's a couple of these bands of now they're still like kicking around, but like they started out as these third generation like keyboard like synthy pop bands, and they're yeah. you know you're like, oh, this band sounds like this band, but this other band like. There really isn't anyone that is I would consider a big band. Like I think you're I think you've nailed it. I think War on Drugs is are are there Tim and Paula, but I mean I, everything else is like, you know, for, for me as a programmer, a lot of the stuff that's like coming out is, you know, I'm I'm worried about the future of like just for bands that have a bunch of hits, right? So that have a catalog um that, that radio can play because a lot of it is just it is one offs. Like I'm I can't wait for a killer's record to come out or God forbid another Strokes record, but like, be like, I'm I'm happy to have those, but I'm also no like, because I, you know, it's you know, I'm old enough, to, you know, be in the '90s as a teenager in the '90s. Yeah, we got a new Green Day record, we got a new Chili Peppers record, but like, there's only so much gas in the tank, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just like, where are all these other bands? And there are exciting bands out there, it's just that they're not at the level of ha- having multiple records, having multiple hits yet. And I think a lot of it also stems from just people's attention spans too. They're like, people get, they get bored of sounds really, really quickly. And if it's being contemporary, things are always changing. Right. So it, I mean, you look at top 40, I couldn't tell you, and I was a big top, still a big top 40 guy, I guess, to a certain degree, but I couldn't tell you most of the songs that kind of came out in the last five years because they're just kind of forgettable. Like, I'll, like, I'll hear them when I hear them, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's, that's that song. But I, like, not like when I, and so when I was working it obviously I'd see it every day but I but even when I turn on top 40 radio I'm like stuff doesn't stick out to me like it it, it does and I think alternative is also I mean is also having some of those challenges as well I think we get a lot of solo acts is also what's happening I for sure right two, two things happened we obviously had the pandemic which made it harder for everybody to get together to play and solo acts start blowing up and uh, this is when all these DIY like I play everything and I <laughs> record everything myself and bedroom pop starts to take off and like also social sure. media social media makes it easier for one like the the one man army instead of like the group and the brand like I'm thinking mm-hmm. stuff like Mitski, Phoebe Bridgers, Lana Del Rey, Soccer Mommy, Snail Mail, Kurt Vile. They no one can name anybody in their backing band. Whereas Hyam yeah. is like it's go ahead, Dashling. I, I, I bristle only slightly at Phoebe Bridgers just because I think Boy Genius is still kicking and Boy Ooh, Genius is... Does that count? Super group, maybe? Super group, would you call it? That's a band, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah. And it's just it's just interesting because like, I'm thinking of all these bands from like the 2010s that I really loved so much that did put out multiple records and they were all good, but they never got to the level of fame where it was sustainable, so they splintered into these solo acts. So like for me, I'm, I'm curious, like, Hey Rosetta was an incredible Canadian band like I adored them mm. and the music I felt honestly kind of mirrored Heim a little bit because they had this sort of reverence for acoustic instruments there was a lot of brass there were a lot of interesting things with percussion but then it seems like oh that's not what people actually want so they can't keep making it you know so I I don't know it's it almost feels like it's a feedback loop of some sort where it's like we want more interesting music but not everyone wants more interesting music so artists don't make it like they kind of pander to what's already I don't know. I don't know. No, I think you're onto something there for sure. Maybe. Like, but yeah, it's it's. If we had the answer, we'd be very rich. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Michael, you for sure. <laughs> um, we're gonna take a quick break and then uh, let's get into the show. 
So it's been a couple days uh, since the gig. I just want to get uh, initial thoughts here. What's sticking out? Like, what have you been thinking about? What's been like poking out in your brain about the Hyam show now that a, a little bit of time has passed? I mean, Alana Haim can step on me, but I suppose I knew that already. <laughs> um, that was confirmed. That was confirmed at this show. Um, her with her her drum. Like, absolutely. Fully iconic. Haven't stopped thinking about it. Anytime I've listened to Haim since, I'm just imagining her on her drum. And it's great. It's so good. Before I let you go, Michael, I just, I, that's for sure something that's sticking out for me as well, is that, you know, what makes them special, you kind of forget this just listening to the record, you have to see it, is that they're multi-instrumentalists, which is really rare these days. Uh, they're actually, they're not just like, I, I play all these instruments and I make all my own songs by myself. No, they're, these guys can play. Like, like, everyone in the band can play drums. Everyone in the band can play guitar. They all know how to sing. It was really cool to see them share lead vocal duties, like Alana and Esty doing lead vocals with Danielle drums on the drums. Um, but you know, what really pushed me is that they, like Alana and Danielle, are like pretty great guitarists. And we're we're in this era where everybody plays guitar and like everybody plays guitar sufficiently. But no, these guys are like, I get the feeling they spend a lot of time in the studio working out their guitar sound, their tone, like. Figuring out those, their solos, they can really they play the hell out of those solos. And there's times when they switch instruments a couple times within a song. It definitely keeps things interesting, you know. When you like, they have the acoustic section in the middle, and like now Danielle's going to jump on the drums. Now all three of them are on the drums. Now Essie's going to sing lead vocals. It's almost like this kind of really great, like almost like variety show between them. Uh, uh, Michael, what do you think of the gig? The overall no, game, no, 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 or, no, or the or, or standout. No, I, I mean, I really wish there wasn't sound problems and also lighting problems. Like, I don't think the lighting thing was as big deal as they made it to be. Um, but I mean, I think when the show started, it seemed from where I was standing, and I was probably I was probably near the soundboard, but like off a little bit off to the side. It really sounded like it was muffled, and you could hear it. <laughs> you can hear at times that clearly the the girls couldn't hear themselves because they were totally out of key and like they were it was painful like it just like oh this is off really bad and then and and then like i think it's really just comes down to them not being able to hear themselves and they're trying to harmonize and like it just it's out there in the ether and it's just like yeah here it is it is what it is so i think it took a little bit of time for that to to click that didn't bother me as much it just wasn't i you know it definitely it didn't help getting off the bat but i think by like i think the, i think by the time they played like want you back which i think was uh let me look you've got your list here oh yeah i think it's like or maybe even yeah maybe, yeah by the time they either played that or, or 3m or like the, like the third or fourth song it felt like it things kind of like okay now the show's starting and off we go we had a little, little bit of a rough beginning and here we go and i mean they do their dancing things. Like, I mean, all the things that I think a lot of that people love about Haim, I just seen it so much over many years and being, like I said, super jaded. It was just like, it, it doesn't rub me the wrong way. I just, I just laugh because it, it just, for me, it's like, I, I don't get the same, I don't get the same excitement where a super fan would because they're seeing this kind of like for the first time where they're like totally in love with them and it just was just like eh, it's kind of campy they're goofy they're goofballs it's fine but i will say and i agree with you completely i think you know one thing that's not um i don't think people realize how great musicians all three of them are 
Yeah, there's no question that they can sing, but when they play and do things, it's, it is effortless. I mean, regardless of what I just said about their vocals and all that, but I think that's just that's just in, in the moment and whatnot. But I think as musicians, I think each each one of them um, are not even not even like I, I would say they're I wouldn't say they're a profession like they're they're experts. And I think they just keep getting better as you, like as every time I've seen them, they you can still see that they're very like very strong musicians, but not they're still like just getting better over time. Yeah, sharp in yeah. the pocket. I, I, yeah. I feel like when you, you don't, you, when you, a lot of people see bands now and a lot of rock acts and alternative acts, you love the songs, you want to see these great songs. And Haim mm-hmm. are like, yeah, you want to see the great songs, but also you want to see them play. And they absolutely deliver on that. Uh, just to uh, address what you said earlier, I am definitely that super fan <laughs> who, uh. like, who, has, who has never seen them and you know they could have fucking sung christmas carols and nursery rhymes i'd probably be somewhat, <laughs> right. I'd be somewhat happy um i think they could have definitely used a jumbo screen uh because you know yeah. I, I want some facial reactions i want the camera panning there was all sd was probably doing bass face couldn't see it worth shit um i, I thought the drum mixing was good if any if, if any part of the actual uh, sound engineering went well as the the, how the drums were really hitting and they were mm-hmm. really pushing the gut. Um, Ashley, I'm going to toss a question to you. Who won the concert? Who Out of the three sisters, who won the concert? Oh, man. That's a hard one. <laughs> uh, I, I'm... <sighs> I'm biased. I'm biased. I'm such an Alana Haim person. So, like, for me, I was that person who, like, yes, it was my first time seeing them. Yes, I was super excited to see them. But, like, I, I quite like licorice pizza. So, I'm there and I'm like, yeah, Alana Haim, you win. Yeah. Like, and also, because based on where we were standing, like, I had basically full view of her and only her because they never really changed spots on stage. Like, they all kind of had their spot. Um, I mean, so for me, it was her and that that is the biased answer i do just want to touch on the sound mixing as well and thank you for mentioning it because i i've been really i've been trying to come to terms with how much i didn't like the opener and i think part of that was also how badly they were mixed like it, like the sound levels for the instruments and then the vocalist were so mismatched and then it just left a really weird taste in my mouth and almost as if they weren't a great fit for Haim. So I like, I had all these quips about like curation and who's who booked this. And then no, it was just the sound was probably not doing them any favors, which exacerbated any other problems with that. So hold the thought. Cause when we get to the, when we get to the categories, we're going to talk about Sasami, but okay. just I kidding. just wanted to ask you, no, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Cause it's true. It's a good preview. Good preview. I, I wanted to ask Michael, uh, because it's, it's not exactly clear. Who's your favorite out of the three? For the night or just in general? Let's say the night. Who's the most fun to watch? Well, I was on Essie's side, so she's probably the one that was the most kind of animated, but I still think the one that won the night was, I agree, I think it's the one that because, I mean, she's the one that told the story about the spin the bottle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I think whenever when they were doing other things when they were talking every not that they weren't sincere like the whole thing when when Essie did um oh my god the cell phone call thing yeah I was like oh my god kill me (laughs) 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 like for me that went on like way too long but like the spin the ball thing was like I get it was to fill time because they were having things but like she was sharing a really uh, like a really 
awesome story and a, and a moment from her past that like I think lots of people can relate to. And it was just, it just again, it seems so. It, it just seems something that was really intimate that she was sharing with eight thousand people. Where a fake sex call, whatever thing that was going on, I was just like, shut up, turn this off, delete. <laughs> Just to uh, for people uh, for people anybody that's listening that wasn't at the show Alana when the lights went out because we had a lighting rig issue uh, oh, rehashed yes. a story of <laughs> rehashed a story of when she was in high school and the lights went out in the basement and she was playing spin the bottle and she wanted to kiss a boy that she had a crush on and he didn't want to play anymore and it was a very endearing moment. Mm. Esty's version was uh, before three a.m. She faked the booty call. Uh, from a guy that she said that she slept with at the Pearson. Uh, I'm not making this up. I'm not. I'm not making this up. Um, but like, also not even at Pearson. She just said the Toronto airport, and someone near us, quite rightly, was like, um, "Excuse me, it's called Pearson." Like, Google it. It's, called, it's called Pearson. <laughs> it's called the Pearson. That, that, yeah. That's really, yeah, it was one of those things where it's like almost. It was one of the few times of the night where their charm actually did feel a little fabricated, if I have to be mm-hmm. honest, because I obviously they're doing some sort of banter for every show. It's fine. They're touring. That's what you do. But the, at the same time, again, it's just one of those things like, yeah, Google it. It's fine. Like that. You, you don't need, to, you don't need to, to force the story. You can you can make those references pretty effortlessly. I so f- yes, <laughs> for, yeah. for, for me, I love Alana. Like she's probably my favorite in general and as a personality if we're gonna go like who's your favorite in sync member style you know what i mean i love i'm like big crush on alana holy shit would marry her um but i think danielle's the goods <laughs> you know like i think that her cadence and her syllable stacking and how she sings is just like how like that motor mouth that she has and like all the grunts and the and the oohs and the <laughs> like the all the haze love that mm-hmm. um she's it's so cool to watch her drum and sing at the same time i'm like what the hell like how the hell are you doing this mm-hmm. um feels like the most natural says the least but has to carry the most weight it seems like she sings lead on all the songs on all the recordings uh i think but yeah you know like like any great band i'll say that the synergy is what matters and Esty's awesome too and she's like she's how she whips around. I thought that was re- really fun to watch as well. Um, so we just talked about speaking interludes last time they were in Toronto. Hyam played Massey hall in 2018. Michael, were you there? No, I didn't see that show. Cause that would have been on the second record, right? That's right. That's right. And I would have been like, I don't need to see this. <laughs> do, do you know who opened? Do you know who opened that show? I don't, I don't remember. Lizzo. Oh wow! <laughs> All right. Before Lizzo was famous, I would have. I mean, I would have loved to seen that. Um, how was this not sold out? And it wasn't because I looked on the I looked on the Ticketmaster that day, and they had dropped the prices by twenty or thirty dollars. Mm. And this is a band that just sold out Madison Square Garden. This is a band that just sold out the Hollywood Bowl. They're going to sell out whatever UK arena they play. Uh, they're playing all these big festivals on the second or top line. Talk to me here. This is a pretty great, a big band, great reputation for good shows. They haven't toured in a long time. The venue's not that big. Uh, why is this not? Why is this not sold out? Any theories? Oh man, I, I mean, so Phoebe Bridgers is playing the same venue in one week, couple weeks, one weekish, one and a half. One Let's week, go with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, um. 
I am someone who did buy a ticket to that show and they were pricey. I, I didn't pay for my Heim ticket. Thank you, Aaron. I will say <sighs> I... Thank you, Smack. Thank perhaps- you, Smack. <laughs> thank you, Smack Media. I mean, again, I'm coming as someone from theater where we're seeing a lot of shows open at the same time and audiences are kind of having to pick and choose between what they want to see. I do wonder if there is an overlap between um, Phoebe and Heim where people might have chosen to gone with the hotter ticket. Maybe like that. That's my approach to it. I like I if I. I had wanted to go to Heim even before you had mentioned it. I didn't want to pay for a ticket. And I do wonder if there's other people who wanted to save that for a $200 Phoebe Bridgers ticket in the same venue. Wow. Too much. Ugh. That's how much that show is? That's crazy. I can't even talk about it. I have to sell my ticket. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting $200 back. But also, what? <laughs> Charge up, Ashling. Try get that money. <laughs> I'm sure oh, someone's man. dropping two seventy some rich Toronto oh. uh, <laughs> fake sad girl. <laughs> Uh, uh, Mike, anything from you? Why, like, why is it like you go to a lot of you go to a, a ton of shows? You were just at Turns Turnstile sold out the Phoenix. You were at there. Yeah, story. yeah, um, yeah. I think it. Well, I think for for Heim, like, I think the problem is the record. The record was out and it's been out for a while. Mm-hmm. I think there's. I think there's. I think if you're a super fan, you're going to the show. You would have bought tickets when it went on sale and, and all that. And I think the one challenge is that just the awareness. Based off people don't as the, the thing that I have to deal with every day is people's attention spans. Uh, like I think with everything that's going on, we're just so overstimulated with all kinds of things. There's always something new to look at or, or to grab our attention. And I think this record came out a little while ago. Um, I wouldn't say it was, it's not a hot ticket currently. Like the record's fantastic. Like again, if you're a fan, you're, you're all in, but to, in order to kind of sell out venues, you have to kind of push above your weight class and, and you kind of get at like more than just your super fan in order to do that. And um, I was actually, I was actually kind of surprised um, how many people were there. Cause I, I also didn't hear it, it was selling a little soft. Um, so I think a lot of people did walk up, um, but you know, I don't know the price of the ticket, but I can only assume that it was probably like 50 or $60 on top and then on top you get your fees so maybe it was an 80 dollar ticket uh mm-hmm. you had two openers uh, i missed both of those so unfortunately i can't speak to that but i mean it's still like it, it, they're the they're the highlight like it, the other two bands on the bill are like i would say relatively unknown to you know your to anyone anyone in that fan base or anyone else so no one's buying a ticket to support the show with that so yeah, I mean, also the fact that like again, like you know, I'm at fault as well. Like there's no there's no airplay on the record, but the re- the record's kind of come and gone. Like it's you know, it's there's no reason to kind of play it other than like to play it all, like it, with frequency um, because there's just too many records coming out. And then, and again, there's the variety the variety of like literally every time I open up my email, there's three or four more shows coming to town, and like they're. You know, there are things, there's there's so many things that are coming thanks to the pandemic and everyone's out there trying to make money that there are multiple things each night. It's almost like being in a, like being yeah. in a New York or a Los Angeles where you literally <laughs> go to five or six shows where before Toronto was like, oh, I can go here. Like there might have been like, oh, I can go to this show or the, like there'd be like this is the show that everyone's going to or 
there's like there's like a couple of options depending on the level of band and now it's like on average there's like three things a night and you're like it's overwhelming that's just, and that's just music that's not talking about sports or theater or anything else that would be happening or any other kind of event that's happening in the city and, and like financially as well like you're Ugh. you're dead on like yeah. tickets are expensive we're in a recession um and i mean let's I, can of worms that we don't have to open but like look at harry styles tickets and how much of a fiasco that's been you have to <laughs> believe that maybe there's some overlap between people who have been holding out for the harry styles sure. tour and people who didn't want to waste money on heim um yeah. i'll also to that end i will say the heim merch situation was not my favorite they everything started at like 70 dollars. it's like absolutely <sighs> not um so i i don't know they're there's definitely seems some incongruity between this very indie accessible sound and then the actual gig itself. Arcade fire tickets for upper bowl, I believe are $180 right now. And like, this was a band who were playing like this, like the fricking church for free, like 20 years ago. And I was like, Oh, I'm December Toronto snowing out arcade fire. Fuck. Yeah. I'm going. And then I looked on Ticketmaster. I'm like, uh, nope. it, it, like yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I really hope some cheap ones uh, go go for sale. This Beck is also opening. I guess that kind of raises the profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, I'm sure you're going to that with your radio station, right? I will try to, and 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 because I love Beck, and he, he the fact that he's playing acoustic means he's got an acoustic record. Beck's always an interesting character, so it kind of like I want to see what he does. I, I also don't think you can put Beck on like not like his show you can't follow that so he better be just hey you're out there with the acoustic guitar and a stool and you can open for us because i don't think arcade i don't think that's a smart move at all so i think oh, that, i don't know that is it, that is calculated for arcade sure. arcade fire is like 12 people playing their hearts out i think that they and the new record's pretty good i wonder if it's like if Beck can compete I, i'd like to see them come out and do a song together that'd be really sick i mean oh fuck maybe i have to get tickets for this michael hook it up man maybe hook it up. It let's, let's go let's go yeah, yeah. um before we get to the set list of the categories i just wanted to add because it's special because we're in toronto and this is like the toronto uh concert podcast you guys see drake showed up at the, <laughs> at the concert he put he, no. or, or they hung out I, i'm not sure if he was there but they um he posted a picture to his Instagram of the three of them and him with his arms around them. And I mean, I guess it wouldn't be a Toronto visit without a session with Aubrey. I, I wonder if, if a Drake likes Haim and he, have, he has time in this busy schedule to be like listening to Haim because he, his caption was, I'm just met the Beatles. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. pretty funny. <laughs> and I also wonder if he heard about their technical problems and was like, Hey, Next time you're playing at my venue, it's brand new. We don't have technical problems there. You'll sell it out, no problem. Uh, the comments were so funny, guys. Somebody wrote, um, lucky for them, they're 16 to 22 years old. <laughs> years too old for his taste. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, yeah. uh, another person, more tame, hot high and bling. <laughs> that, was, funny. that was my dad. Uh, another uh, one of his one of his blue one of his blue blue checkmark verified hype men wrote she was dope in licorice pizza, <laughs> which, I, which I thought not, was pretty not funny. Incorrect. Not incorrect. Um, yeah, just kind of the Jewish dream team, you know, Drake and Haya on the Toronto visit. Uh, good hangout. Uh, let's talk about the set list. Uh, so I know you mentioned that you didn't like the opening. I thought the opening was pretty good. Uh, they come up with now I'm in it. Just Danielle, 
playing on the guitar. SD comes out. Alana comes out. They play the drum solo together. Uh, I Know Alone, Up From A Dream, My Song 5, Want You Back, 3 AM, I've Been Down, Gasoline, Leaning On You, Hallelujah, Man From The Magazine, Fucked Up But True. They play Los Angeles. Uh, other set lists had Don't Wanna. They skipped it. Don't know why. Summer Girl, Forever. Uh, then they played Encore of The Wire and The Steps. First of all, that's 14 songs from the third album and one from the second album, just three from the first. I was, I, I, As a person who is a massive purveyor of the third record, that's not enough first album. You got to slot a couple more in there. That's like a classic. Yeah, to that end, though, I will say as someone who very much enjoyed the concert and likes Heim, it was too long. Like I maybe it was because of technical issues, but I did feel it drag a little towards the end. And I feel like that's a case where maybe scrap three or four of the songs from the third album and do maybe two more from the first album. Like I, I that could have afforded to be a bit shorter for sure. Um, I really wish there was more number one. <laughs> Totally. They've totally. been playing that those songs for like ten years. They're like pro at those songs, and like it's weird that they would just put them on the shelf. Michael, how'd you feel? Setless was. Yeah, I think it was all right. I mean, I probably would have liked to see more stuff from the first record too. But also, I, I think of all the other times I saw them, and it was all like it was all first record and pre second, and, and when they probably like the last couple times, like the last times I. I'm trying to think of where I saw them. I know the last. I think the last time I saw them was at Way Home uh, here. If not another, or might, or might have been Governors. And my complaint, funny enough, was it was just like, all right, I get it. You're playing a Fleetwood Mac cover again. Like you, like are you girls ever going to write some more songs? And that was like, it was like literally they were playing the same set for like two years. So I think it was just that they kind of came back in frequency, kind of either here or even seeing them like in New York or whatnot. And I was just like, all right, let's go. Let's, um, I want to hear some new stuff. So, I mean, I've seen a lot of the, the stuff from before, but it would have been nice to kind of like um, see, like there's some stuff I would definitely would have cut um, from this, from the third record instead uh, and would have thrown in, you know, probably would have thrown in, did they play forever? No, they didn't. Did they, they did. They did. They did. They closed the oh, first okay. set with forever. Oh, well, right. Actually, sorry. That, that oh, sorry. Right the falling. That's what it, that, the falling would have been that. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, that, all, all the apps. So I'm like, right. <laughs> yeah. There, there could have been, there could have been some other stuff that I would have liked to seen, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, there's definitely like, like I would, I know this won't be popular, but, and I, and I, I, I would have cut man from the magazine. And the reason why I know I knew exactly, I don't, I, I think that song, um, I think there's importance to that song. I think writing from their perspective and from what their experience are, I think the messaging's great. I don't think as a song it's well executed. And I think that even her doing it solo, especially with like how bare bones it sounded, I was just like, I, I maybe, maybe it's, hey, white male, whatever. I lost interest pretty quickly. But to be honest, I think I don't, have a problem with what she's singing about by any means. I think it's super important. I just didn't think it's, I don't think it's that great of a song. I mm. think there could be, it could have been just better, but maybe I'm, I'm the minority on that, but there's some other stuff too. It's just like, uh, it's okay. And I, and I agree. It didn't feel like it, it definitely lagged. And I definitely think that they stopped and acknowledged the fact that the lights weren't working and it killed their set. And I think that's why they didn't play, uh, 
They didn't play don't, don't wanna. Don't wanna. Yeah. They definitely were going to play because they played in every everything, and I think they cut it for time because they're like, oh, we we're too busy talking. I think like we got <laughs> instead of getting instead of being able to see don't, don't wanna, we got the spin the bottle story, and that Which I, I mean, pay with honestly, that's, yeah. that's a fine trade off. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley, yeah, move one, add one. What, what's it going to be? Re- remove one, add one. Yeah, because oh, Michael Michael just basically said, "What you take off Man from the Magazine, you throw on Falling, right?" Yeah, I think so. I think that's that. And also, I also would have cut. To be honest, I would have cut some of that. We don't really need the extended saxophone solo. Like, I don't care. I'm not there to see that. Go away. Right? Like, it adds to the songs where they're there, but like that dude, I get it. But like, go go have your own band. You know what? There's, there was three in the middle. It was Leaning on You, Hallelujah, and Man from the Magazine, which was like an extended acoustic section of the of the, the concert. And that yeah. I felt lagged a bit because I wanted to see yeah. the electrifying three man, three sorry, three member, like kind of like fiery performance where they're all whipping out their instruments. And this is just like an acoustic guitar, a little harmony, maybe a little bit of percussion. So I would mm-hmm. cut Leaning on You or Hallelujah. And we, I wanted to hear if I could change your mind. Or. Oh, nice. Don't save me, which is like, why the fuck are you not playing? Don't save me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Ashley, mm-hmm. did you figure one out? What you got? I pr- mm, I can't cut man from the magazine. Like I, I no, because just like I, I come from, I come to this as someone who has absolutely had an older white man say that as a woman, my ideas were stupid, and mm-hmm. I this you know the song means a lot to me and whatever all the rest, and I'm sure that I'm not alone in that. So yeah, I don't think sure. it was super well. I don't think it was super well executed, and I agree with you there. Why it wasn't super well executed? If it's because they were flustered because of the lights, or if it shouldn't have been as pared down as it was. There's lots of things behind that but like i think to cut it from the set is also to cut a lot of what heim fundamentally is as an all-female group in this music industry so i think to me i think it needs to be there if perhaps done a little better um i could also probably have cut leaning on you honestly like that's that was one of the ones where i was like oh it's heim song yeah (laughs) This, this, this is what they do cool um I had kind of been hoping to hear all that ever mattered. I didn't think we would. It's a little more of a deep cut, but like, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. I just, yeah, I really, again, also as someone who like, I go to concerts, but I'm not a huge fan of standing for an hour waiting for Haim, who also took their sweet time after the opener. I think it was an hour. Yeah. And then a very long set. I was like, I got to go. I am thinking about my couch right now. Like this is is definitely (laughs) dragging. I I knew that they were only going to play a couple of days are gone songs, and I was wondering if my song five would be the choice because it's like it doesn't like don't don't save me mashes with B three right. My song five is like a really heavy song, but when they played it, that red light came out and they were rocking it. I was like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Yeah. That might, that been Correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's get let's talk about some categories before we get out of here. Uh, so we we normally break the show down with categories, Mike, as the first time. Okay. Come around the show, uh, like superlatives, best this, worst that. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the audience. We call it the Canadian audience meter because I'm sure, as you know, we have kind of a notoriously boring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, smoking, talking, but like, yeah. like bored, yelling inappropriate stuff. How do you think we did um, uh, at this show as a Canadian audience? 
I mean, for, I think from, from my section, I mean, it's funny. I can hear the enthusiasm from like a different section when certain things are happening and, uh, and then every, everything was kind of crickets kind of where I was standing. They're like, yeah, it's all right. And then I got a couple of woohoo. So I think maybe like just because of where I was standing is probably a six, but maybe, maybe it's the better, maybe it was better where both of you were standing. Yeah, um, people were going pretty hard, don't you think, Ashley? Like, yeah. <laughs> Someone tried to start a mosh, which I'm like, it, 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 it's a Heim concert. It's not that serious. That's funny. I, I just, I also approached this knowing for a fact that in the same venue, um, Phoebe Bridges is going to be a mess in a lot of the best oh. ways. And I'm like, there's no way that like this felt pretty soft comparatively. It meant that it was really easy and kind of like a nice show. So I'd also probably put it at a six, not in a derogatory way, just in a, yeah, pretty polite, pretty um, easygoing audience for sure. Uh, I got a couple of yes bitches because I was one of the people that knew the words in there. I was like every word to both sides. Now she went, yes, bitch. <laughs> I also, a nice thing I also noticed was uh, during want you back. There were three guys that went together, like kind of big beer drinking, burly guys. And they all put their arms around each other. They're like, yeah, this is the song that I came here for. But aside from that, it was a little bit, there was like during that acoustic part. And maybe it's, to the discredit of the setlist of, of creating the setlist, people were talking. People were like, "Yeah, this is, this, is, this is a pretty good show," you know. Like, and like people were getting a little bit restless. Uh, and that, I, I guess that tends to happen. I, I, I would give it. Um, I give him a seven. I give him a seven. Hmm. Um, let's talk. They, were, uh, they really, yeah. they really did blow that momentum when they start. When they, I guess maybe that was just too early in the set. Then, in your point, like it did. I mean, they were supposed to start at like you know. Nine or nine fifteen. It's always starts at nine. But the, yeah, they were like a half an hour or something late, and you're like, "What are you doing?" And I think it just killed the momentum of the crowd. Like it just killed where they were. They were like where it was going, and then oh, let's just take a time out and do this. And you're like, oh. <laughs> anyway, sorry. No worries. I'm reflecting I, 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 on it more, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally what happened. I think that's what happened. The acoustic, the, the acoustic little portion in the middle went for like, like yeah. you know, 12, 15 minutes. And like definitely like made us go a little like a little exhausted as well. And of course the lights. Um, yeah. But okay, let's do uh, best backstage team player. Anybody not in, <laughs> not in the band who did a good job and. We, Ashling and I went with one of Ashling's friends. She was lovely. It was Ava. She loved the show for the most part. I, as she said, yeah, she did. Ashling, cool. She loved it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she she works in theater as a theater technician as well. And she was saying the real hero was whoever operated the spotlight, who wasn't who didn't have those notes when the the grid went out. And mm-hmm. that has to be probably the best backstage team player because everyone else kind of dogged it. Sound guy dogged it. I'll tell you the worst backstage team player. <laughs> Whoever was responsible for making the gravy at the poutine stand. Damn. <laughs> Hard hitting. Um, did anybody have any other answers? No? Anything? I mean, as well as like not, the, not the light board up is probably the one. <laughs> but sorry, go ahead, Michael. So I just say the person that decided to turn on the circus delay lights because like kind of when that happened and everyone everyone was kind of like everyone literally I think at one point in my section were like I guess the lights came on because it was like the only thing that was really lit up other than the the, the spotlight so a bunch of people kind of turned around and did that 
Ooh. Like it was like it's kinda of like some sort of like atmosphere, like, oh yeah, the circus play lights are on. And it's like the only leather light source that's happening anywhere close to us. I, I think I remember a plane going by too, kinda of low. Oh, that was like, that was pretty good too. You're like, yeah, during the acoustic set, you're like, oh man. And I just kind of laughing, you're like, yeah, Porter, Porter at its best. It's uh, really okay. intimate. If you could keep anything from the show, what would it be? And I have a couple options here, okay. Any instrument on the stage, the malfunctioning lighting rig, <laughs> Estee's Nokia, her little cell phone that she answered from, the women in music banner, <laughs> or the high M t shirt that for some reason wasn't available at merch. <laughs> I mean, for me, it has to be the high M t shirt that wasn't available at merch. What? I'm sorry. What musician is going on tour without a standard t-shirt? Excuse me. I do not have $70 to spend on a cropped long sleeve. And that like, yeah, hello? Like, oh my God. Absolute mess. Because I've also, I've looked online. They, those shirts exist. Yeah. That Heim makes them and sells them. Why are they not on the road with them? Mm-hmm. Or if they've sold out, why? Mm-hmm. Somebody That's on the nice. subreddit was complaining. They were like, like, yes, they should. like where's the tour date okay. shirts? The shirts with all the tour dates. They're like, this is their supply chain. It's fucking supply chain problems. <laughs> And yet you, your supply chain is fine for your, you know, $125 hoodies. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I want the banner. Give me the, yeah. the women in music banner and put it right out front of my house. You know what I mean? This is Toronto. God damn it. It's good. That, like you might take pictures yeah. of that. Michael, it's just, <laughs> what are you taking? Uh, you know, what's funny. I usually go, go to the merch booth and I actually met one of my friends there. I didn't actually look at their merch. And I usually like to see what bands sell and, and see what kind of things are going on, but I didn't actually look. So that's actually kind of really disappointing to hear that they didn't have like your standard like tour shirt because people people definitely always want that regardless of what type of music it is. It's just there. And I, maybe they're just trying to be fashion forward or like here buy, and also buy our most expensive item. But I would agree. I think, you know, when I was watching the show, one of the, one of the things that was kind of nice to see is when that banner kind of came out and it literally almost in a weird way. I felt like it kind of united the audience. Like everyone got really excited and they got really anything that was any kind of lull or any kind of maybe complaint. And maybe it's also because it's like, they're, they're basically playing, you know, the wire and stuff. And I think that's when it came out for the encore, it just was like, I kind of thought to myself like, Oh, I wish they kind of did this off the top and had the banner there the entire night. But it was like, it was a nice surprise at the end. It was like, Oh, that's, that was really cool. So that kind of was a really good takeaway. Um, I was gonna ask how was the opener, and but Michael, you missed it. Do you yes, know yeah. Sass? Do you know Sassami? No, I don't know it at all. It, it was so bizarre. It was like an Asian, an Asian woman, uh, okay. kind of in a lace, I believe it was. She was playing guitar, and it was like straight up a combination of nice bedroom folky pop to open, and okay. then she goes into like straight up metal songs. Like oh weird like hard like double kick drum her whole band had like this like frizzy long hair she covered toxicity by System of a Down and it, it did I mean I don't, know it ma- I don't know if it matched and like Danielle met, later mentioned she was like she's been our friend forever and like how awesome was she and I was like I like like get somebody I mean, look yeah like they're get like so helping out your friend cool <laughs> right it was like one of those. That, that could have been the issue, though. Like, get somebody local. If, like, you know, if, if like you got Pop to open, or like the O oh, Baby, give me Moors, give me the O oh, Baby, give me Moors, who would have fully done it. You could have sold that place out with some local love there. Um, but Ashley, you didn't like the opener, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
how about a letter grade? What would you give the show? I'm I'm giving it a B plus, maybe A, A, maybe light A minus, light A minus, probably B plus. Mm, I'm gonna. Ha- oh, God, I, sh- I should remember what I gave the Avril one. Um, I think I might have given the Avril a solid B. So this one, I I feel inclined to give a B plus, just because I think I enjoyed myself a little more at this one. Avril no. Levine is not a concert to go to alone, but like. <laughs> yeah yeah a lot a lot of room for improvement um but i also fundamentally really enjoyed myself like it was a nice night out and i will say honestly i'm going back to the best team player the weather the weather really she did her best that night it was perfect concert weather maybe drake Maybe Drake, like that's like Drake. Drake is going to open up that fan base to like I, so many of Drake's had like fifty million followers or something. And it's, it's so many people be like, "Who the fuck are these girls?" He's like new, like it's like new, his new posse. I, I full on thought you were going to say Drake is going to open for Haim, and I was going to lose my shit because that no. was so funny. Like, yeah, uh, best te- backstage team player. Michael, yeah, what's your letter grade, baby? It's a C, to be honest. Ooh, I think it was just. Absolutely. I've, I've seen them better. I think, I mean, I would have liked when they look, when they played the songs, obviously what I wanted is like what I wanted to hear. Yeah. I think I've seen them. Pl- they're, I think they're overall the show had a bunch of problems, but I think they also kind of, they didn't know how to react and, and it kind of did come up and become kind of lagging. And you're like, Oh, it really did. Kill. Like the more I think about it, like it really did the momentum really kill with that acoustic set. Like they literally got the sound and everything right. And then they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stop the show. <laughs> okay, cool. So everyone's into it. And you're like, we're going to like take it down a notch. Well, we're already up here. And it, you yeah. knew, they, they clearly knew that there were things were going off a little bit, a little bit sideways at the beginning. And like they got into their groove and then they're like, let's just, let's do something else. Completely else. Yeah, so I would have respected it if they just cut the acoustic ones and they're just like, here's three days are gone tracks and little of your love. And just like, let's just who hears really outdoor and like 10 30 p.m. at night outside really wanting to hear a candle at acoustic set. But hold on, yeah. just, just just for like uh, a gauge, Michael, what are you giving? What did you give Turnstile out of uh, letter grade? Oh uh, man, you can't even compare. Like that show is out of control. So that's an A plus show. Like there's. Mm-hmm. And I've seen I've seen that band before um, I, uh, on their last record by accident. I kind of discovered them on their last record uh, again. Just I was seeing another band and they they opened for that band and I was like, "Who are these guys? This is insane!" And and then to watch them put out this new record, which is you know so amazing and, and obviously com- a little bit more commercial, just kind of like just so accessible and and just like. I can't like I that record came out in October and I still listen every time I listen to it, it still sounds like it just came out and it's just fresh and exciting and I think you know then seeing it live is like they're a really tight band and um at the it just you can't, it can't even compare the energy it's just like insane so that is an A plus show Heim sorry sorry ladies of the C yeah Nothing wrong I mean they, they but they can definitely do better like they've definitely been a, a definitely been an A before but I just didn't find it with this performance at all. And I would have liked to seen, I mean, I, I really enjoy the, the new record. So maybe I think the sound really did kind of turn me off a, a lot of, for some of it. And, um, Cause that record, I mean, I think the record it, without question is it's recorded perfectly. Like you hear it and you're like, it's, you want to hear all those sounds you want to hear. You kind of want to be taken to that place in, in concert when you hear the record. And then that clearly wasn't going to happen at Echo Beach. 
I don't no. think they'll be playing there again. I think that for a number of reasons, they're like, fuck this. We're not going to play an indoor venue or play Budweiser if we can. Uh, but thanks for your honesty, Michael. And yeah, no did, did I miss anything? Did anybody have anything maybe in their notes that they wanted to talk about? Uh, cool. Well, it was great having you on the show. Uh, both of you guys, Michael, first first, first go. Ashling's third go. Thanks so much for being on, on the show. Uh-huh. guys had a, quite the blast uh, breaking down the Hyam group with y'all. And uh, we'll be back in July for some more episodes. Thanks so much, guys. Right on. Until next time. Thank you. Beautiful.